1: This episode is brought to you by Waypoint TV. Waypoint TV is the home to over 70 producers of their best outdoor content. Some of the best stuff available anywhere is available for free on Waypoint TV. Go to waypointtv.com and find out how you can download it on the device you like. And you know what? If you are overwhelmed with the amount of content there, just click the live feed and they'll shuffle through some cool shows for you. You might find some new shows that you haven't ever seen before. I know I did. That's Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com.
2: This lady pushed my wheelchair, and I was like, who, who are you? And she gave me her phone so I could tap on it because I couldn't talk very well. She, she, I said, who are you? She said, I'm, I'm your wife. And I said, I typed in, let me see your driver's license. <laughs> so she showed me her driver's license. I was just happy I made someone so beautiful. <laughs> that's a true story.
1: Hey, everybody! I'm glad you're with us on the podcast today. Got a very, very special guest. I have wanted to have this gentlemen on the podcast and i wanted to have him on our fishing show as well for a long time he was a two-time illinois state wrestling champion in 1991 and 92 he went on to earn division one all-american honors two times his first fight in the ufc octagon was in 1999 at ufc 22 he won his first ufc world welterweight title in 2001 at ufc 34 against carlos newton This guy went on to become the most dominant welterweight in history, and he's my favorite fighter of all time. I watched every fight. I was drawn to his style. He was a wrestler. I was a wrestler. He made it known that he liked to hunt and fish. I liked to hunt and fish. This was my guy. And uh, all the way down to his walk-in song, which was uh, Hank Williams Jr., Country Boy Can't Survive. And if you're a UFC fan, you know immediately who I'm talking about. This is Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes, in the early 2000s, was the welterweight champion, along with a lineup of some really exciting and fun people to watch. Rich Franklin, Chuck Liddell, Tim Sylvia, Randy Couture was in that mix. Tito Ortiz was up in there, and there were some amazing fights and some really, really fun times for the UFC. And Matt defended his title nine times, and it earned that title of most dominant welterweight In history, I met him for the first time in 2010 in passing at the shot show, and then just kind of followed what he was doing and came across Instagram a post where I was very shocked to see Matt Hughes laying in a hospital bed. Did not look good at all. And looking further into it, he was struck by a train, struck by a train. Strange thing, you know, to happen. And I tried to get more details. There were not many details available and it didn't seem like very long later maybe five months later i could be wrong on that timeline but a a short amount of time to come from the condition that i saw him in that hospital bed to walking into an event that the ufc was having a, a big fight where he walked on his own all the way down just like he was walking in as a fighter and the crowd stood on their feet and honored him and this recovery that he was having it was very emotional and I just put a little something on his Instagram, just a just a casual comment. It said, "Hey, Champ, been a big fan for a long time. I think we should celebrate your recovery with a fishing trip with at Saltwater underscore Experience." And I didn't think anything of it, but almost immediately, there was a uh, a reply back that said, "Fishing trip, I'm in," and that started my correspondence with Matt, and finally we got our schedules together. I got him down to Hawks K and we did a great television show together. And he also sat down with us on this podcast. So Matt, he was incredibly inspirational to me before. Now he is even more inspirational as he has recovered from this very traumatic accident. And he's done it in a way that is really incredible. I mean, Uh, I don't know anybody that could survive a train accident other than someone like Matt Hughes. And he's come back with just an incredible attitude, a great sense of humor, and really just a sense of gratitude, and, and really enjoyed my time that I was able to spend with him and get to know him a little bit. He's a guy that loves to hunt and fish. He loves the outdoors, and it was a real pleasure. His health is very good. He gets around great. He drove himself all the way down to the Florida Keys. He, he, uh, he can do anything. One thing that he seems to be having a little trouble with right now is his speech pattern. It was a He, he underwent a brain injury in this train accident, and uh, it has affected his speech. So when you hear this, that's what's going on. If you didn't know about Matt Hughes before, you will after this. And for the UFC fans, this will be a treat. I know it was for me. So stand by for a great conversation with the one and only nine-time world welterweight UFC champion, Matt Hughes. All right, we're live. I'm sitting here at Hawks K with Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes, how you doing? I'm
2: doing well. I yeah. had a good day.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. That was awesome. So you've never fished down here before, and we're in the Florida Keys, and uh, Matt Hughes... Uh, Long time, I've watched your fights for a long time and I wanted to have you down and we made contact on Instagram, strangely enough, and uh, it was some kind of progress on your your health. And I just put a comment there and said, glad to see you up and up and at them. Once you start feeling better, let's come down and have a fishing trip with Saltwater Experience. And then like 10 minutes later, said fishing trip, I'm in. And then we started talking. It took about six or seven months to set it up, but here it, it just happened. What'd you think?
2: I don't sound corny, but I'm so excited for today. It was the first time catching a shark.
1: Yeah. We caught lemon sharks, black tips. You caught a nurse shark and an Atlantic sharp nose. It was a good day. You... I'm
2: going to have you write that down so I can show it to my, my wife. Yeah. I, I will forget by the time I get home.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna, to um, work on getting that mounted for you to go in that awesome room you were just showing me. Is that where you'll put it? Yes. Yeah, that looks pretty awesome. He was just showing me his uh, his collection.
2: I won't put with the guns. I put outside with the other animals.
1: <laughs> outside, it can make it outside. It's in, a fiberglass mount
2: in the room with the mounts, oh. not in the vault.
1: I gotcha. Yeah, that's that's for the you save that for the guns. Yes. Uh huh. And how many do you think you have in there? I have no idea. Yeah.
2: Who wants Who wants to count how many guns they have? Them all. Why would say I have too many.
1: Yeah. Um, well, my father-in-law taught me an interesting trick about fly reels and fishing tackle and, and other things. He said just buy everything in black. Everything's black, and then when you bring it home, nobody, nobody notices. <laughs> it's, everything's black, and it looks just the same as the other one. That's
2: a good idea. It is, isn't it? Damn guns, you can't really do that, though. They all look different.
1: Yeah. Have you been collecting guns for a long time?
2: When I met my wife, her husband is a big gun collector, so we we'd go together. Okay, he'd always push my hand down, and I just had to raise the other one
1: (laughs) at the auctions. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I I would think that a uh, a gun auction. Do you see when you go to one of those? Is it like antique weapons, or they have what 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 is the? Um,
2: I I buy everything at auctions. I love
1: antiques. Yeah, yeah. You were showing me some of the some of the guns off that train. We can't remember what it what it was, but what's the story on that? That those are like really old guns.
2: Yes, they're on trains in the 1800s, and they're marked Wells Fargo.
1: Oh, really? Have you ever been to that the museum in Bozeman, Montana? It's um, and then there's another one in Cody, Cody, Wyoming, that has tons of old antique. Weapons? Is there anything for sale? I don't know. <laughs> I think they. I think it's like your place. Nothing's for sale. It's all. It's all for show.
2: But guns are not sold. Uh huh. I
1: got gotcha. you. That's cool. Um, so, will you continue to uh, to expand that collection?
2: I've got so much. How many more do I need?
1: You're going to need to make a few more slots on the. I
2: tell everyone I need. If Holocaust comes, I need trigger pullers. <laughs> I don't need ammo, don't need guns, just people to pull the trigger. All
1: right, that's where I'm coming. I'm going right to your house.
2: <laughs> I buy ammo all the time because those people need to make money too.
1: Yeah, they do. Do you like to shoot the twenty two? Do you have a twenty two? Do you have twenty twos?
2: Maybe if I to short range target.
1: Yeah. yeah. Just like plinking. Yes. Boy, there for a while the twenty two ammunition got so hard to, to get. I don't know what happened with that, but it was really, really hard to get. And we quit shooting it. And I have this little twenty-two pistol that I like to go shoot with the with my kids. It's just really fun, and it's a great way to teach a kid how to shoot a pistol because it doesn't really kick very much. And that ammunition, it wasn't even that it was expensive. You just couldn't find it anywhere.
2: People have bought it up. Yeah. Y- y- yes, it was hard ar- around me to find ammunition for gauges like that. It's just way crazy for a second. going Gonna stop making it so... They bought it all.
1: Yeah. Did you? Are are you responsible for that?
2: (laughs) Maybe a little. (laughs) But my ammo, I treat like my guns, is to be bought, not sold.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Does everybody, everybody else in your family collect guns, or are you the only one?
2: My twins got a couple, but nothing like me.
1: Yeah. What does he do for a living?
2: He puts up solar panels for people.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a good. That's a great um, field to be in right now.
2: I right, right now it is. Yeah, I j- just don't know when it's going to die off.
1: I don't know. I think it's. I think it's only going up. That's what I see. More and more people putting that on their on their roof and going solar. Seems like a good thing.
2: Should I, I just don't know enough about it. What's the benefits?
1: Benefits are that you don't get a. a Power bill every month.
2: Yes, and I know you can sell it to them, but I just need to know figures.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I couldn't even tell you what I pay for stuff like that because my wife takes care of all the bills.
1: Yeah, mine too. That's a good thing to have is a wife that takes care of that because uh, that's not my forte. I'm not a money person. I don't I don't, I don't. don't enjoy it.
2: If I've got money in my pocket, it won't save that long because <laughs> I'll spend it.
1: Yeah, um, I can tell by your gun room.
2: Plus, maybe not one about my gun room. Yeah,
1: okay. Nobody's listening anyway. But
2: the thing is, they can't get in there, right? I don't worry about some break in because it's all concrete.
1: Uh huh. That's cool. So, well, what about the fishing? Have you done much fishing before?
2: I've been to, the, to did some big fishing, but but nothing like this trigger fishing. Orange ravi, was it?
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, we, we lucked into a, a very good day. The weather has been very, it's been really stormy. Yesterday I had my doubts, and uh, I was really kind of worried about today. But it, we went out early, and uh, Rich went out and caught the the um, barracudas that we needed for bait. And right away, right away we were, we were on fish.
2: I, I would agree. <laughs> Just seemed too good to be true.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't. That's the keys. The Florida Keys is um, it's really an amazing place and when, when you can catch those kind of fish so close to the dock and then in such clear water, it's it's really it's really a special place. So how's your health these days?
2: I think I'm pretty healthy. Now I wish I could talk a little better better to keep my wife up my butt. Can I say butt here?
1: You can say butt here.
2: Can I say other things too? You,
1: you can if you if you want. Whatever. <laughs>
2: I'll be a good book.
1: Okay. Um, so
2: she just says I should slow it down and talk better because I get in her way. I just start spitting things out.
1: Yeah. So maybe a lot of people don't know what happened about thirteen months ago. You were in a in an accident where you were hit by a train. You were in your pickup truck, is that right?
2: Is it in a body's pickup truck. I was working for him, so I was taking some fuel to a tractor.
1: So you had fuel in the car, too, when you get hit by a train?
2: And the tank was found, like, 100 feet away.
1: Wow. Wow. And so, do you remember anything?
2: Not really. I, I remember Cook going back, and being so disappointed. 'Cause there are no trees in the way. I was hoping there'd be some trees and you couldn't see the damn tracks. But there's I should have seen that train. I just don't know what was going on.
1: And so you go back with your with your wife or your family and what was that like going back to the scene of, of this thing?
2: I was just pissed there was no tree in there or nothing to keep me from seeing it. That's they say When you go over a steep incline, you just worry about a car coming so you don't think about a train. Yes. But I should have still seen it. Makes me wonder where my head was.
1: You said you were on the phone, right? And who were you talking to?
2: No one important.
1: Yeah. And um, so then the train, you told me that it it took three quarters of a mile to, to stop and then the conductor the driver ran back to you
2: he was just he thought i was dead so i lean back and take a big gasp for he's just happy i was alive i did have my seatbelt on so that probably saved my life
1: and then you go to the hospital for months
2: in rehab i felt like i was in prison
1: yeah you said you were when you were talking on the, on the tv show interview earlier that was obvious that it would it really bothered you like what was going on in the rehab was it just because you couldn't move
2: and they were so combining i just used i'm an american boy that does what he wants and they wouldn't let me do anything and they had me in, in a bed enclosure which is a bed that has sides and sips up i hated hated that but bad
1: yeah and then uh How long was, how long do you think that you were in that kind of uh, facility?
2: Maybe a month, which to me is a long time. Yeah.
1: I mean, especially for you. I mean, you're super active and coming off of, of being so active to be there. But like you say, got to be super thankful that, that you're alive when you look at the pictures of all the, of the, of the accident. That's, I haven't seen them yet, but.
2: I'm showing them for. I'm waiting for the right time. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, were really been good to me. That's twice he's really saved my life. I was the last day of school at college. Me and some roommates were swim so swimming, and to my roommates drowned. But I, I, I jumped in to save one. The current pushed me downstream. So I when I jumped in. I wasn't worried about them anymore. I was worried about myself. Wow. So God's been good to me.
1: Yeah. And were you guys in like jumping off a bridge into a river? It
2: was a spillway, but it was too much water was running and it made what they call hydraulics.
1: Yes. And then it held them under?
2: Yes. Wow. Held me under for three cycles, and then I figured out how to get out by rolling tucking up in a ball, and it spit me out, like they said, one foot downstream. So I was going downstream, not back to the spillway.
1: Wow. And your two roommates died in that. Wow. That's terrible. And then, and then this deal with the train accident. God has been good to you.
2: I told you the story about this lady pushing my wheelchair, and I was like, who who are you? And she gave me her phone so I could tap on it because I couldn't talk very well. She says, "I said, who are you?" She said, "I'm I'm your wife." And I said, "I typed in, let me see your driver's license." <laughs> so she showed me her driver's license. I was just happy I married someone so beautiful. <laughs> that's a true story.
1: Wow, and so uh, that had to be a pretty emotional moment for her too. That you didn't recognize her, yes. Wow,
2: she's been through a a lot with this.
1: Yeah. Did you start to come around and start to regain some of your memories, like like the most the closest people in your life?
2: Yes, I I think besides being forty four, I have all all my m- memories.
1: Yeah, except for pretty much that day, I guess. Yes. Right. Wow, well, you remember you remember all your fights, most of them, most of them.
2: Just the ones I want to remember. Uh huh. <laughs> well, I just remember one BJ Penn fight, just one, the one I won. Uh
1: huh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and one George St. Pierre fight.
1: Yeah, you remember the one you won? Yes. <laughs> Well, that's a, a convenient memory. I know other people that have a convenient memory. I, there's a lot of fishing tournaments. I'd like to forget somehow. I keep remembering them though. Sometimes that's the that's the lesson. Some somehow there's a lesson there. But my favorite fight, probably. I watched all your fights, and uh, my kids watched all your fights, and I would think that maybe maybe my favorite. There were two that really really. Well, I don't know. I liked all of them, but there were two that really stood out. One being trig two, really like that one.
2: That I'm trying not to guess. That guy <laughs> knew he hit, he hit me low, and he didn't try to give me time to recoup. That really pissed
1: me off. Yeah, I could tell because you took him across the ring and slammed him.
2: I told you why I did that. I knew I was right in front of his corner, and I knew where my corner was. And I would to hear my corner and take him away so he he couldn't hear his. Yeah.
1: Smart. Did that Did that have a, a part in...
2: I did that with all my advice. If I slam I slam in front of my corner.
1: Yeah. And what kind of communication are you getting in your corner at that point?
2: A- everything. From,
1: Anything could help.
2: Yes. There my eyes that see better than me.
1: Right. And your coach was Pat Miletic?
2: And Jeremy Owen and Jen's and... Who, who, whoever else was free that time?
1: Right, and that was a that was a, uh, a a a band of killers that you guys had. I
2: yes, I I ended up at the right place.
1: Yeah, you did. How? What was that like? Like that that culture? I mean, Jeremy Horn had probably fought hundreds of times at the at that stage, and then still had a lot more. So, I mean. He probably had more experience than anyone. Pat Militich had tremendous amount of experience. I mean
2: I I think no one was in a position that Jeremy Hone was not not in, so he knew everything.
1: Did you ever fight him?
2: No. Yeah. Luckily no.
1: <laughs> hey, I was thinking maybe in the early days. Um because if you look at his resume, he seems to have fought almost everybody. He was
2: a little heavier.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then what was it like training with I mean, how would you guys train with that group of of uh I mean you had Tim Sylvia was the champion at the same time that you were the champion, right? Yes. And then Robbie Lawler was coming up, Jens Pulver was coming up. Who else was there?
2: Dave Minet every now and then and a bunch of other guys that you you never heard of.
1: Yeah, and so would Spencer you Spencer Fisher? Okay, you remember him? I think so.
2: He was a great striker, yeah, and very tricky on the ground,
1: yeah. And so, what was what was the uh, what was the culture like there? I mean, it seems like it would be full blast, hundred percent, all the time.
2: It it was, and we learned by beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> but that's when you learn both sides. When someone beat me up, I learned how to tap in, and When he was beating me up, he was learning how to throw a punch.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So did you ever think that you were going to be able to make a living when you first started fighting? I was just happy
2: and just having fun beating people up.
1: What was the the first little show or the first time that you kind of thought, well, I'm a wrestler and there's this, this thing here. Maybe I could go in there and... Was it like a tough man contest or, or I mean, back then that's kind of what those were called, like a like a tough man or a, or a no holds barred bare knuckle. It was deal.
2: no holds barred, but it was kind of like a tough man. My first fight ever was in a girls' all Catholic school in Chicago. <laughs> really, Madonna High School.
1: Yeah, and so what? What was the what was the 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 draw like? What were they? How were they recruiting fighters? Like just like a tough man contest, you think you're pr- tough, pr- show up much. show up.
2: But I knew if he's close enough to me, I'm close enough to take him in and whoop him on the ground.
1: <laughs> and that's that was that was your strategy for a long time. Yes. But it was your strategy until even until you um but along the way you're picking up more jujitsu and more submissions, but you never is this correct that you never uh, received a black belt in jiu-jitsu? Correct. And is that on purpose?
2: I just... Pat didn't give him out.
1: Yeah. So but, you, you felt comfortable. I mean, you're training with black belts. You're fighting black belts. But that just was not part of the culture.
2: Correct. correct. And I tap me meaning a black belt, but who cares? Right. I don't care about taps. I care about making some money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so from the From the Madonna High School, you had a good experience, and you think maybe I'll try another
2: yes, yeah, yes, then I went and fought for a guy named Monty cox okay he was happened to be my manager in a couple of years after that first night, so it worked that worked that good The way got put people and my life was perfect,
1: yes and did he stay with you or did you stay with him or he stay with you through your whole career
2: pretty much till end, the then I didn't need a manager
1: and so at that time that those what the early early 90s and the UFC was still not not really a thing right it
2: I mean, was a thing but not great great
1: yeah like UFC 1 was on VHS and Like I I had it and I watched it with my friends, you know, watched Hoyce Gracie and Dan Severn fight, but it was not owned by the Fertitta brothers and Dana White wasn't a part of it yet.
2: They bought that in 01.
1: 01. Okay. And that's when it really took off. Now, were you involved with the UFC before Dana White was involved? Yes. Okay. And what were the changes that you saw once those guys got involved?
2: They made it more like a job. I went to fight week and had stuff to do with inter- interviews and publications. So they really made it more like a job.
1: And then did you just start seeing that this this has more momentum yes. and all of a sudden the payouts are a little bit more? And
2: Yes, and I won the title in 01. So I was one of their first champions.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was you... I believe Tito, Rich Froning, or Rich uh, Franklin, yeah Sylvia, Chuck Liddell. That seemed like the 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 lineup that I remember.
2: And Chuck was the real workhorse. He would fight anyone.
1: Yeah, he's getting ready to fight Tito again.
2: Yes, I'm looking forward to that.
1: Do you think? What do you think about the older fighters fighting like that?
2: That's what I want to watch.
1: Yeah, you do, because they're they're. I mean that those are the fighters that I'm the most most confident in, or or, or most comfortable watching, because I watch them fight all the way up. And then you have what if you had like a what if you had like a, a Stephen Bonner, uh, Forrest Griffin rematch? Now
2: we can talk about it, but we don't know because it could be a big failure. Yeah, we just don't know.
1: But I think that do you think that the Chuck? Tito fight is going to gonna be a barn burner?
2: Can I speak honestly? Sure. I just hope Chuck ke- kicks his ass. <laughs> He's a good friend and I'm not a big fan of t- Tito's.
1: Yeah. You never fought Tito, did you?
2: I wrestled him one time in Abu Dhabi.
1: Yeah? In a submission yes. wrestling?
2: He, he asked me by a bit.
1: He's a lot bigger than you, right? He
2: They brought me up two weight classes.
1: You went up two weight classes. So you're wrestling, what, 195? Probably. Yeah. And you're, you're a natural 170.
2: He was probably well over 200. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, as a wrestler myself, to go into like a grappling or a submission wrestling kind of deal, did you just you know learn some stuff from Militich and kind of and the people that are around there and you're you're just taking your regular wrestling and and throwing a couple of submissions in there and and yes you took to that pretty well yes i did did you what about jiu-jitsu where all of a sudden you're you're kind of uh fighting off your back on purpose
2: i like being, being on my back now but when i was training i was always trying um starting on my back so I could sh- just learn.
1: Mhm. Yeah. It seems like a it seems like wrestlers have no problem making the transition. I I uh I don't know anything about it personally. I just wrestle with my kids in the <laughs> high school room and get get killed. <laughs> um so how do you think uh how do you think this this accident and the 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 previous brush with death that you had has has affected your your life today.
2: I think I'm much happier to be to be alive. And my wife says I'm a better person now. So I think she's right. Just makes me appreciate appreciate everything.
1: Yeah. I mean you seem like you're you're super thankful for everything. That's one thing that struck me as we were as we were texting and talking about this fishing trip is you just kept saying thank you for the opportunity and it was it was uh it, it was really cool to see that and i kind of wondered that as we were as we were uh getting closer i was kind of wondering if that was an an outlook that had become more a part of your life after this accident
2: i've got a question Pete. yeah Did you come think i'd come down there and be retarded or not not be able to walk right
1: no, I didn't. I, I mean, I had watched what I saw you come into the into the UFC when they brought you in, and you had a, an obvious limp. And then we talked on the phone, and you know your speech wasn't wasn't the same. But I didn't have any doubts that you were going to be able to do it at all. And you you did great. You were hit by a train, so I mean, I think you're doing pretty good.
2: It's just a damn train. Just a. <laughs>
1: Well, no, I didn't, I didn't really have any idea. Well, I really didn't, I really didn't know what to expect, but I I figured if you were willing to come and, and, and give it a try, then it was going to be great.
2: Hope you can wiggle something out of the footage. footage.
1: Absolutely. We will. We had, um, incredible drone footage and you know, when you're catching eight foot nurse sharks, it, it turns out pretty good. (laughs) Especially for somebody that, that has never caught one before because there's excitement and, you know, it's all new and, you know, you're catching it on light tackle and you kind of don't, it's all new.
2: I just not used to one thing. I want to touch this shark. Yeah. And, and I would love it be me against him.
1: Yeah. Well, it, well, it kind of was. There's a mechanical advantage, but I think you wanted to, you wanted to actually um hand line them. And that is something that, you can do. We weren't really prepared for it today. If you have, we needed a lot longer rope than what we have. But you can, you know, you can handline those things. But it's tricky, and if that rope gets around your foot, that thing is pulling you in <laughs> for sure.
2: I think I'm coordinate, coordinated enough to keep that from happening.
1: Yeah, I hope. I, I it, it's kind of scary because I don't know. I've done it. I've done it before.
2: If but, we do this again. That's what, what we're, we're going to do. Handline, yes.
1: Okay, and then there's some other creatures that you can handline if you'd like to. Goliath groupers that look like a large mouth bass, but they get up to about 400 pounds, and uh, those are good handline targets as well.
2: Sounds fun. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have me excited already.
1: Okay, well we'll do it again, and maybe we'll we'll go um, elk hunting with my with my son too. He is starting his elk hunting guide career tomorrow. Uh, I was just talking to him on the phone. He's so excited about about this, and and one of the things I was trying to remind him is I was like, "I just want you to remember that that you know, a year ago, this was just a a dream that you had, and that you've actually made it happen." And he was like, "Wow, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I didn't realize that, but I guess that's what can happen when you kind of write your goals down and." Work towards him little by little, and and that's what he's done, and and just really super proud of him. And I hope that I hope his this first season goes really well.
2: You should be excited and hope people pay attention and put goals out there to make the life life better.
1: Yeah, how did you? What was your goal setting process like? Like when you're looking at a big fight coming up or you're looking at wanting to be the champion, or you're looking at your wrestling career that you had, what 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 was your goal-setting process like?
2: I was just was trying to put myself in position to beat my opponent. Might be st- striking, or could it be submissions, or could just be trying to be a ref guy. Like, Carlos Noon didn't throw many punches on the ground. He was a, a When he hit the ground, he was a grappler, Mm -hmm. and I want to take him out of that, so I would throw punches. So I was put myself in a position to be the the better athlete.
1: Mm. So, but when that goes uh, into your day to day training, like striking may not have been your strong suit. So how do you how do you attack your weaknesses?
2: I work on my weaknesses weaknesses more than. Then I work on my strengths, mm-hmm. and that was what we did at military Med, all the time. Yeah, work on weaknesses.
1: And is there a is there a way that you're um that you're working on on what's going on in your in your mind when you're preparing for a really difficult fight?
2: When I had a tough opponent, I put a picture of him on the mirror. So I'd see his face every day and that would m- motivate me.
1: Hmm. And then what was your, well, in your prime, what was your work day like? Like as far as how much you were training, how much you were working on recovery, how many hours a day would you be training?
2: I would wake up, go for a jog in the morning, probably half hour, 45 minute jog, nothing too bad, come home, eat breakfast. Go to the gym at 9, work weights to 10.30, then do some light cardio, like kickboxing mm-hmm. or grappling, whatever I could find a partner for. Then that night was take lunch and take a break after lunch. Then that night was heavy heavy sparring or heavy technique. Could be takedowns, could be grappling, could be sparring, could be sewing but that's where the sweat was at nights. Mm. Then the evening you have off.
1: So the day was almost the the first part of the day was almost kind of a recovery from the day before, like moving and just kind of getting your body moving and and getting clearing the lactic acid and feeling better, getting rehydrated, ready for that evening session. Yes,
2: the evening session was
1: tough. God, I'd like to have seen that evening session with all. We of you. could
2: have sold. Take his I streak. know you
1: could have. I mean, you had the best fighters in the business in there, and I mean, was that a closed gym? Nobody could come in.
2: Pat let people come really? in. Really? Yes, because everyone you couldn't give them out.
1: Yeah, they just wanted to see. Yes, man, that's a that's an incredible time. Did you ever have a fight that you wanted that you didn't get?
2: Kind of. When I was champion, I would have tried to fight. 85 champ for the belt. Evan Tanner was a champion at one time, and I asked to find him. It never got worked out, though.
1: I always thought you and Rich Rich Franklin...
2: We're two good of friends. Oh, yeah? Is He's he a,
1: still a friend today? Yes. he seemed. He always seemed like a good person. He is. Yeah. What does he do? He was a teacher at the he, time. Yes. Right? So what is yes. he doing today?
2: He's working with one one f c okay Pioneer that- organization, organization I don't know exactly what else I can ask him if you want
1: <laughs> it's okay uh we'll we'll ask him later, but that's cool. I'm glad to hear he he's doing well he was he was a favorite too I liked watching him
2: we had had those show together did you did you watch that
1: probably what the ultimate fighter yes, yeah,
2: season six,
1: yeah I think. yeah. Did you like the Ultimate Fighter shows?
2: Yes and no. I didn't like being in in Vegas for that long. Mm -hmm. But my family came out there, so they made it so much better. The show was fine. I just didn't like
1: where I was at. Yeah. It's hard to be away from home like that.
2: I'm not a big city person either.
1: (laughs) And Las Vegas is is a pretty big city. Was that when Rashad was, was he on season six? You were a coach on on Ultimate two Fighter in season yeah. six. Okay, so season two and season six. And I think he was on season two, right? With with Forrest Griffin.
2: Forrest was season
1: one. Season one. Okay, I watched them. I get them confused at this point, but it's amazing how many high profile fighters came out of those series and really ended up doing well.
2: You're right about Rashad. He maybe was season two.
1: Was he? And then he ended up doing great. He's multi-time champion, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to know what he's doing today, too. He just—he was still fighting recently.
2: I haven't kept up with them.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway. So, what else? What's important to you these days?
2: My family and God. Yeah. To be honest, I pray a lot to the big man. Maybe why we saw so many fish today.
1: <laughs> well, God's a fisher of men. <laughs> Right, very true. There's a lot of fishing in the Bible, but you, you're right. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what it was. I don't. I don't put anything. I don't know. Every time I go out there, I learn something new, pretty much. So,
2: what did you learn today?
1: I learned not to take a liver shot from Matt Hughes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You know what that's about, though. <laughs> you're just talking you just talking rumors.
1: No, I saw you give Marty a, a liver shot, and it didn't look fun. It wasn't nothing. And I believe me, I know it wasn't anything. But uh, I, I learned that that was one of the things that I learned today. Another thing that I learned today is that we had 2 breakoffs earlier, and I don't have any idea why. And it, the line broke the same way on both, and I was really looking at it and trying to figure out what it was. And when things like that happen... You just realize, you know, it doesn't matter how long you do this and, and how many things that you see, there's just always something new. And I don't know if that's a, the way I was tying the knot today or the brand of, of fluorocarbon that we were using, or but something wasn't right. And it happened twice. And when something like that happens twice, I don't know if you noticed, but we, we got rid of all that line and put all new line on and it didn't happen anymore. And You
2: may tell you whose fault it was? Mine. The cameraman. The cameraman. Yeah, it was <laughs> it's his
1: always fault. The, it's always the cameraman. Um, actually, that can be kind of funny, but I always try to always try to be super nice to the cameraman because they uh, they're the ones that make you look really good or really bad, and the editor even more so. <laughs>
2: Who's the editor? Hop. I was trying to be nice, be nice to those guys. I do that because that's who I am. I should be a worker. Yeah. Just got lucky in life.
1: Got lucky to, to be really good at beating people up?
2: <laughs> I had the best job in the world.
1: <laughs> well, you not only had the best job in the world, but you hit it at a time you were on the wave. You caught the wave. And I mean, had you been doing that 10 years earlier, it would have been a whole different story. Y-
2: yes. I'd be working at a Seven Eleven today.
1: But you hit that wave perfectly. I mean, many of the others, like, I don't know, a lot of the guys that were in UFC 1 or some of those guys, the sport just wasn't there. And when you were getting involved and then Dana White gets involved and the Fertitta brothers get involved, and then, then you know, there was like also a legality thing about putting, you know, being able to fight in these different states. And then it gets to where you can fight in Las Vegas. Was that the first the first I, I,
2: place, I think so. The old o- ran away from the ath- athletic commissions, and the New York ran toward, towards yeah. them.
1: That was a major change because now that it's sanctioned, it seems like it was, it was more legit, and then they could actually start filling like full on arenas rather than auditoriums, and then I would imagine that that's where. You know now that they're now that Vegas is embracing the u f c and there's a couple of different places that these fights are being held, there's more and more people that are allowed to come and then the the pay per view starts to get then the sport just grows but it's amazing to see what those guys have done. I try to learn from every source about everything and see what principles have worked for other people and then maybe try to apply maybe just one little piece of that to my business or to the show or whatever. And I look to the UFC a lot because if you're a fan of the UFC and you did watch UFC 1 and see where that sport has grown, it's not by accident. It's it's a lot of hard work and, and what those guys have done is really incredible.
2: I I think that's smart for you to do. Mold yourself after a successful company.
1: Yeah, well, you try to. I mean, not, I mean, it's funny to think that, that maybe you could learn how to have a better fishing television show by looking at the UFC, but if you look at the UFC and you start thinking, okay, well, you know, why are their fans so into what they're doing? And it's one of the reasons is because, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I was always under the impression that Dana White was, was um, adamant that the fighters would give the the public time. And that they would talk to the, if somebody came up to you, you were to talk to them. Like it was, tell me about that.
2: Yes. And the way I look at it, that person come up, wrote my paycheck, they gave money to the USC and the USC gave that money to me.
1: Right. And and that's as opposed to, you know, a lot of these sports where the athletes are inaccessible to the to the fans uh, I mean they might get to see him come in, they might wave at them or, or whatever, but at the UFC that's on the the couple of fights that I've been to I've been very surprised at how how uh, available the fighters are I mean like there's lots of fighters at the fights like they may not be fighting, but they're there, and if you go and say hi to them, they were very happy to talk I mean all the ones that that I said hi to. Were that way. And I I think that it's just a, an interesting culture that you're in hyper aggression, violent sport, but these people are super approachable and very nice and very, um, they all seem to realize as you do that this, this big room full of people has all paid to see you, you know, you gotta be super appreciative of that. And, and without those people, there is no, I mean, the UFC goes back to fight, fighting in, a parking lot with a, in a tent, right? Like yes. if, if only a few people are interested in it, but that was my experience there. And it was, it was really pleasant to, to see that.
2: I'm glad you, you <laughs> got, got a good
1: experience. It was, it was a great experience. My first fight was, um, the Sarah GSP fight. And I was sitting right up front and I got to see, the, I got to see Matt, Sarah, got
2: to see the lucky punch.
1: It was maybe call it lucky, call it whatever, but those fights can, can end. Pretty much anybody can get a lucky punch in I guess when you're when you're that talented enough to be in the UFC, don't you think that anybody could i mean it could happen to anyone right
2: It's a punch of hard hitters, and you know, you get hit in the wrong place, bad things are going to happen
1: yeah, so how do you avoid that for so long like in your career?
2: keep your hands up <laughs> <laughs> I always tell my it good gets, advice. Just hit the ear because it's all tender
1: around there. Yeah.
2: Last place I want to get hit is in the ear.
1: Do you remember when Seth Petrozelli got his ear ripped yes. off? Oh, that was, <laughs> that was really something to watch. Have you ever seen that happen in training? No. I mean, he just had really wicked cauliflower ear for one thing. But he, did he just get hit just right for that to explode like I that? I think
2: so. Wow.
1: Your ears have never exploded? (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) I've been good about about keeping my hands up.
1: Yeah. Well, I know. I can tell you've rubbed your ears enough to where you have two trophies on both sides of your head. (laughs) If
2: I have nothing else, I've got two trophies on my head.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember one uh, UFC video, and it was all about who had the best cauliflower ear. And I think you were right up there, top three, maybe. I don't know who else had, had quite as good a cauliflower ear, but.
2: Rene Couture.
1: Randy Couture. He, he could definitely be up there. I've never seen his ears I in think person. His I've seen them on TV. They're
2: so ugly.
1: <laughs> They're just two little holes. Yes, yes. That comes from where Where do you think he got that so bad? From from wrestling or from fighting?
2: I would say wrestling.
1: Yeah. And that was, he was a Greco guy, right?
2: And those guys shouldn't have cough by ear.
1: So what, what is it? Are some people just more susceptible to it than others? I,
2: I don't know. It, it had been the way he, he
1: wrestled. He was a great champion. Do you do you stay in touch with him?
2: I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> that's about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So what about your deer hunting this year? Are you going to be able to deer hunt?
2: I'll tell you after I put my food plots in.
1: <laughs> that's when you get home, right?
2: Yes, but... My brother feeds the deer. I just cut off the passes to the field.
1: Mm-hmm. And you hunt the same property every year?
2: I have my own property, so mostly yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you manage that, like all year I, long?
2: All I care about is the deer. Uh huh.
1: Do you have those cameras that send you pictures to your phone? Nope. You don't. My
2: son has all the cameras.
1: Uh huh. And he just tells you where the big ones are.
2: I just know where they're
1: at. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it, he who holds the cameras holds the secrets. Y- yes. And you trust him to not to just say, "Yeah, go right over
2: there." I go where, where I want. Uh
1: huh. So, what's the biggest deer that you caught off uh, that that you caught? I'm all thinking fishing. What is your biggest deer off your own property?
2: Only forties. We there's bigger deer that that there. Not in my spot, uh-huh. so that that's a very That's a better than average deer. Pike County, who is a couple counties away, has big deer. Mm.
1: What's the difference?
2: We had the same boot, so just some genetic, genetics. Yeah, mm.
1: and you like to bow hunt too. Which do you prefer?
2: I like seeing the facial expression of the deer. So I probably like barn because you're so close. Yeah, to them.
1: that's cool. And do you have wooded areas on your property? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just fields.
2: No, have all kinds of timber.
1: Do you? What else do you hunt? Do you hunt ducks? No, you don't hunt ducks.
2: <laughs> I have too many teeth to hunt ducks.
1: Too many teeth? Yeah. <laughs> Tell that to the to the people in in Mississippi. That's where my dad always took me to Mississippi. We went to, uh, we used to hunt out of Yazoo City and uh, saw some pretty good duck hunts down there. I like duck hunting. Just don't, uh, I've said it before, I just don't really like to eat them.
2: I I was going to ask you.
1: Yeah. I don't really like to eat them. I I don't blame you. And then if I don't like to eat them, then it takes away something from the hunt.
2: Do you like quail? Yeah. I love quail.
1: I love quail. I like pheasant. I like deer and. I hope well, I love elk, but I have never killed an elk myself, and my son's going to be an elk guide, so I think I'm going out there in November, so hopefully I'll kill an elk
2: Tam to take all the all the back straps out and keep them for yourself, yeah, that's what I need and, all tender, of and tenderloins. Mm-hmm. he could take the tenderloins easy,
1: yeah out of the out of the guest elk, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll clean it for you. <laughs>
2: I'll pay myself.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think that might be what they do. But I know that when I started guiding in in Wyoming and Idaho, my boss would, he would go kill a couple of cows every year and, um, or acquire a couple of cows one way or another. Uh, If somebody, if he used somebody else's tag or whatever, but he would just make hamburger and we had elk burgers all summer and they were terrific. I, I can't wait to get an elk.
2: I don't blame you. Yeah. It's excellent food, hormone-free.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like that fish. What'd you think about that fish we had?
2: That was excellent. I love and so it's got some spice on it. Mm-hmm. I love Cajun food, though.
1: Cajun? Yes. Yeah. Do you ever spend much time, do you ever fight in New Orleans?
2: My first fight in the UFC. Really. It was Louisiana. Yeah, that's New Le- Lake Charles, okay. Louisiana. Yeah,
1: Lake Charles. Is there a casino there or something? Some. What What kind of venue we'll, was it?
2: We'll look it up when okay. we get done.
1: We had we had a redfish tournament in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That was the first UFC fight. Wow. Do you remember who you fought? Of course you do.
2: Gil, no. Bal Inventov. Really? Bal Inventov, yes. Russian? Yes. He was... He, he was big and mean, though.
1: Big and mean, no. He wasn't.
2: No, he was a samo guy, and I was a wrestler, so he he never saw my ankles.
1: <laughs> As your recovery improves, you have things that you're that you're working on or that you want to do.
2: I got some things in my shop I'm working on, but I just love getting up and being a man going to work. So I have a couple of people I run equipment for, like track holes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
1: You like that, Tom? Yeah, I love it. Yeah,
2: just... I, I've got my own track hole at home.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot of good thinking time.
2: Yes, and I pray, probably pray most of the time. You
1: pray most of the time yes. when you're riding the tractor?
2: When I'm driving a track hole, just gives me someone t- to talk to.
1: Yeah, well, you have a lot to be thankful for you really do. And I know that you were a great champion in the UFC and you had a you had a terrific impact on a lot of people, me included. I mean, I really enjoyed watching your fights and the way that you fought and the way that you handled yourself was also fun to to have my kids around and and watch and when you won, you were cool about it, and when you lost, you were cool about it. You were just a gentleman. Uh, as much of a gentleman in the ring as you can possibly be uh when you're trying to kill someone. But you were and and it was a good thing to watch with my kids. So I'm really super happy that, that you're doing better uh, after after the train wreck. And it was awesome to have you down here and, and to go fishing.
2: We'll have to do against so I can beat man on, on man against the damn shark. <laughs> we'll do it. I'm not used to all this leverage and Missionary, I just want to fight, fight him.
1: Okay, well, we'll make sure that happens next time. We'll get you the we'll get you the handline, and we can make it happen.
2: I'll bring down a pair of gloves. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> all right, Matt Hughes. Uh, if you want to uh, follow Matt Hughes, what's your Instagram? Do you know?
2: I think it's Matt Hughes Nine X
1: Nine X. Yeah, Matt Hughes Nine X on Instagram. Do you have any other social media platforms?
2: Facebook, it would be the same, I think.
1: Okay. Matt Hughes, 9X. 9X stands for nine-time world welterweight UFC champion. I just,
2: I got lucky nine times. You
1: got lucky nine times. I don't know. I saw some of those fights. There wasn't a lot of luck involved in a couple of them.
2: (laughs) What's your favorite fight?
1: Trig 2 or Carlos Newton. I really like Carlos Newton. And then, honestly, I didn't know how Hoist Gracie that was an interesting thing because there were two of my favorite fighters going at it. Like I really liked watching Hoist Gracie in UFC one and do what he had done against like much bigger people. And all of a sudden this guy's really super technical and, and he's got this technique and people are like, Oh, that guy's going to kill him. And then he just, you know, gets his hands on you and just like a boa constrictor just, just works it. And so I knew I, I I was Sure, you were going to win the the Hoist Gracie fight, but still, that was, that was, there was a lot of lead up to that. Like, wow, like, huh, what's so going to y- happen?
2: You had no doubt I was going to win?
1: I don't think I, no, you were in your prime, man. You were, you were on a roll, and uh, I was pretty sure you're going to win. There's
2: so many people that would disagree with you.
1: Well, I know. And that's what made that fight so awesome is it's like, is the total jujitsu guy going to win? is you're coming from this lineage of of jiu or this wrestler that doesn't even have a black belt but he's Matt Hughes like who who wins and i think that's what made that fight so good is that there was so much disagreement and there were that you had your fans that were so i mean they were so behind you and he had his fans that were so behind him and then there was this crossover of people that liked both of you and were very interested on on who was going to win that fight. I think that was one of the most interesting matchups that, that I saw. I don't know. That fight wasn't as fun to watch as the trig too. But I think the lead-up for me was, there was a lot of, of kind of thinking, well, what if he does this? And what if this happens? and I don't know. What what were your thoughts on that fight?
2: When we hit the ground, I don't do anything for like 36 weeks. I thought he was going to pull this magical move I'd never seen or heard of before. So after about 30 seconds, I start working around, and then I figured out this old man has nothing for me. Mm. And so I got the straight arm bar, but I knew he wouldn't tap, so I didn't want to wear myself out, so I just thought I'd catch him in something else.
1: And then it went like that. Yes, and kept going like that.
2: And I can remember hitting him in the head, and I could fit his head through my gloves and through my tape, so I knew I was hitting him hard. Because you don't fit anything when you get taped up. Yeah, but I could fit his 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 head. Wow, I was hitting it with everything I had.
1: That was uh, and and that was I, I believe that was your prime. Do you? That was when you oh, were oh six.
2: Yeah, UFC sixty.
1: UFC sixty. Do you think that was your prime? Probably. Yeah.
2: Especially, I was in such a good mood. I don't care who was out there. I was gonna get my hand hand raised.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like that fight. And then, then you know, one of the most popular fights of all time is Hughes Trigg two. We've already talked about that one a little bit, but that one was that one was great. And even Trigg one was was a good fight you know it was fun to watch because uh i don't know i didn't like the lead up to it because he was talking a lot and you you refused to like you always seem to refuse to talk much like pre-fight talking. i
2: i did my talking inside the octagon
1: yeah that was another reason why i like to watch your fights with the kids and watch the lead up with the kids it's like look do the talking on the mat do the talking when it counts you don't necessarily need to be doing the talking beforehand. But I always like that about you. So uh, anyway, those were those were my favorite fights. What was your favorite fight of all time? You in it or somebody else?
2: I love watching Chuck fight. Yeah. Chuck Liddell. And why people chase him, I don't know. Chuck wants you to walk in, into him. My favorite fight I thought would probably be when I beat BJ. Mm-hmm. I just beat someone that beat me, and he had me in such a bad position before. Mm-hmm. I like when I go through something rough and win.
1: Yeah, well, that's when you're overcoming huge challenges. When you when you get beat by somebody like BJ, and then you know there's going to be a rematch. That seems like it seems like that could be really tough to rebound off of that.
2: Yes, I had such. A big team around me, they had me men- mentally ready to go.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, BJ, BJ was a tough competitor. How come he never cut in the face? People would just hit him so hard and he would never cut. I don't think I ever saw him cut. Did you ever cut him? No. Why is it that he? some people don't cut like that?
2: I, I don't know.
1: just seems like he never cut.
2: He must have strong skin. I guess
1: so. I don't want to find out.
2: He's got that and being so limber.
1: He is incredibly limber, isn't he?
2: Pisses me off.
1: <laughs> I mean, you get him in anything and he just whoop, gets right out.
2: <laughs> I really dislike that. Yeah. I, I would grab his leg and with everyone else, I take them down. With Then he just move around and be limber.
1: Do you think he works on that all the time, or is, is, is he just naturally?
2: I think he's just natural.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, lots of good fights, man. Really. It was really a, a, a great pleasure to just spend some time with you this time and just you know talk about these old fights. It was fun. Um, but we'll do it again. Sounds we'll come good. Come down, or we'll, uh, or we'll go elk hunting, or we'll do something.
2: All these people need to realize I'm very thankful for them because they wrote my paycheck. Them giving their $40 went to me.
1: Yeah. Well, they were glad to do it. You were a great champion and, and fun to watch.
2: Says you, not, not everyone would say that.
1: Well, you had an army of fans that did, though.
2: What what would Frank Trigg say?
1: I don't know. I don't know what Frank Trigg would say. What would he say?
2: He couldn't say much because I could come back on him. <laughs>
1: Frank Trigg always said he was he was stronger than you. Like No chance. Yeah, I knew that. But that was his thing. He's I'm wrestler strong. I'm I'm this and that. And uh he said he was stronger than Matt Hughes, and that's when I kind of thought, hm, mm, I don't know. I, I just
2: been banging hay since I was ten years old. So I've been strong my whole life.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this one last question. What do you say for kids that are in one sport year-round. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Whether that's wrestling or jiu or soccer or football or tennis, is it good for kids to be involved in one sport year-round or is it bad for kids to be involved in one sport?
2: I would think they get burned out after some time, so give that kid a break and maybe even make him do something else because you don't want someone getting burned out. Maybe... Have a bad coach at one time, so that could mean a lot. I would just watch out with that. Yeah, that's just my personal opinion. So you can slap me, slap me afterwards and say that was what I wanted you to say.
1: <laughs> I don't care what you say. I'm asking the question. Um, and and what? Uh, that's about it. That's what I think too. I I just I don't really agree with the with the kids in sport in the single sport year round. I just I think it creates injuries and burnout. And I don't know. I don't know that they're. I do see that they go to these summer tournaments and they're doing. They're getting a tremendous amount of experience and they're getting really good really fast. But I think there's a lot of washout. I
2: agree with you. And it's just a matter of time before they get a bad coach or some singer or some injury. So just make sure they go to college, college doing it
1: yeah yeah all right well let's go fishing again or go elk hunting or do something next year
2: only if i can use hand more.
1: hand line that's the next thing yes sir we'll do it all right matt hughes thank you thank you so glad to have matt on the show we got so many things going on right now we got new website going up SaltwaterExperience.com all new kinds of stuff over there you can see the podcast website tom roland podcast t-o-m-r-o-w-l-a-n-d podcast.com you can send us an email podcast at saltwaterexperience.com i will check all of those emails and get back to you or take your suggestions on who i should track down for some guests we have some awesome guests coming up i'm really really excited about the progress of the podcast you guys have been so nice and helpful in all the nice emails you've been giving giving me and uh really really that means more to me than than you might uh know because sometimes i never know if anybody's listening to this but it turns out that they are and more and more people are tuning in every single week and going back and seeing some of the great guests that we've been able to pin down and lots more coming lots more coming your way So, follow us on uh, Instagram, Saltwater Experience, and you can follow me at Tom underscore Roland, R O W L A N D, and I will see you on the interwebs.
0: Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.